Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Monday, June 8th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez, brought to you by Yingling Traditional Lager. Spread your wings. Give them a follow on Twitter, at Yingling Beer. Bill Meltzer going to join us coming up momentarily. A ton to get to in this episode, but starting uh, first and foremost, didn't do an episode last Wednesday, last Friday. Got a lot of DMs, texts, and emails from people asking uh, why we didn't do the episodes. Uh, With everything going on in our country, uh, really, and around the world over the past week, 10 days, two weeks, uh, we decided it wasn't the appropriate time uh, to push out content. Uh, but we are back, obviously, for this Monday's episode. We'll have an episode for you Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of this week. And we've got a ton going on with Phase 2 opening. We get some clarity on a lot of issues in regards to the playoffs. So a lot to get to in this episode of Flyers Daily. And joining us right now uh, is Bill Meltzer. Billy, what's going on? Uh, I'm well, Jason. Yourself? Uh, well, we're hanging in there, Bill. It's been, uh, mm-hmm. obviously, uh, a week that we'll all remember. Um, I mentioned right off the hop. Uh, that we, uh, you know, we kind of filled out flyers.com here on Flyers Daily as well. Um, but um, w- what's been happening in our country is obviously uh, very, very important. And kind of where I wanted to start with you on this episode because um, Kim Davis, who is the executive vice president for the NHL for Social Impact Growth Initiatives and Legislative Affairs, um, she's got a Herculean job ahead of her. And one of the things she appeared in 31 Thoughts, uh, the podcast uh, with Elliot Friedman and Jeff Marrick, and one of the things, a quote that she said, she says, we have a long way to go with uncomfortable conversations, Um, but she seems up to the task. Uh, She's got a lot to handle in hockey, and there's a lot to handle here in general, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. No no questions. You know, it's... uh... You know, people talk about systemic issues, and that's really that's really what it is. You know, it, it's uh, going to take uncomfortable conversations. It's going to take a lot of listening, less talking at each other. You know, um, uh, specific to hockey. I mean, you know, there it, it quite often starts at you know the the youth hockey levels. Yeah, and and uh, you know players of players of African-American or, or, or other, you know, or other descent. I mean, you know, they're, they're subject to, you know, a, a lot of abuse. It just, it, it exists. It, it's a common experience. And I, and I think it's something that, you know, it, it needs to be listened to and something that needs to be, needs to be changed, you know, and um, change doesn't happen overnight. I, I, I think it takes, it takes a lot of honesty. And again, I think, I think it takes, un, you know, it does take uncomfortable conversations and it's, uh, you know, I, I think that it's past time to uh, begin that process. Yeah, and it was a week, too, Bill, where we saw, obviously, NHL teams, including the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, put out a statement. Um, a lot of players spoke out. And, you know, one thing about hockey players is, you know, athletes in general, a lot of times we say, well, they never say anything, you know, like, in, especially in hockey, you know, it's that like we got to get pucks deep, we got to get pucks to the net, work hard, you know, cycle, all that stuff, right? And then the minute they do say something of substance, you know, a lot of times we'll jump on them for it. And then we'll go, you know, we want you to say something, but when they say something, it just causes problems. So then they got to go back to not saying anything. But a lot of players around the NHL and the biggest of names, you guys like Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, Claude Giroux, all stepped up and put out what I thought were very well, well-termed statements. Um, and a lot of it was that they need to listen, not necessarily um, do the dictating, but they need to, to educate and listen, and that's probably the 
biggest thing that a lot of people can do uh, in the sport of hockey and, and, and for people that maybe aren't exposed to the African-American life uh, to the extent of some others. Oh, I completely agree. You know, when, when issues would rise up in sports, I mean, when, you know, Colin Kaepernick started the protests in the NFL and they're, they're questioning whether um, NHL players, you know, would, would not stand for the anthem. You know, we, uh, we went and we talked to Wayne Simmons, you know, and sometimes I would feel bad that, you know, Wayne was the designated guy to speak for it because, you know, there were not many black players in the league. He was the most prominent of the Flyers um, players, you know, black players. And, you know, there were a couple of other black players on the team at the time. But, I mean, Wayne being the most prominent, Wayne was always – Wayne always handles these situations thoughtfully, um, expresses himself truthfully, you know, and uh, always raised issues that were worth listening to and, and, and talking further about. You know, I, I – um, I really thought that, uh, you know, I just, I always felt that I learned something whenever we would have one of those conversations. You know, I said, on, on the other hand, uh, you know, in times such as that, I felt a little bit bad that Wayne just couldn't be, you know, everybody else on the team we talked to about getting ready for the opener and Wayne had to address wider social issues. Uh, I'm glad the dialogue has expanded. You know, it's not just, it's not just the, the Wayne Simmons in the league, right? Uh, it, it's It's everybody has to, has to speak and and it's been nice to hear guys like raging from Crosby to Connor McDavid you're not just not just what Evander Kane said and Evander Kane you know has to be given credit because he's really the one that that you know in, to a large extent a lot of the, a lot of the uh, statements that came out subsequently was you know Evander Kane challenging people to okay you know say something here and I, I think that um, you know I, I think it's just the beginning of a very very long process but uh, you know I, I think that um, I think that even over the last year or two, you can see things starting to move in a, in a positive direction. Dialogue is always the, you know, an important first step in a process, not the last step of the beginning. Yep. And, and this isn't just a, a one-time systemic fix. This is something that goes forward uh, forever in the game and hopefully in life. And hopefully everybody continues to take it as seriously and thoughtfully as possible. Um, Bill, I'd like to welcome you to phase two. So congratulations. You are now in phase two of the NHL's return to play protocol. I've made it here as well. Uh, all of our listeners are in now in phase two. The Flyers practice facility is now open to players to go and work out. Do you feel any different now in phase two? <laughs> well, it, it will feel, you know, it, to me, now mind you, this is with, you know, a, a host of COVID-related limitations and restrictions. But you know how ahead of training camp, uh, at least a month, players start to filter more and more, start to filter to the to the training facility. You know, nobody ha- nobody has to be in the ice or no. So I'm in mind you have bigger groups because this is going to be limited to six players at a time. They're going to have to work out, you know, schedules and you know, be uh, be tested on a, on a regular basis and and all the rest of that. So it's it's different. But to me, it, it almost feels it almost feels like that stage of things where you know, you're hearing about more and more players coming in. For starters, there's not going to be very many here. Um, you know, there won't be any coaches in the ice, which there aren't during that phase anyway, but there's no interaction between the coaches and players. They can watch from the balcony, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, it won't be open to any fans as the, as the skate zone normally is open. There won't be any media access. So, 
you know, um, I, I believe there will be some some dialogue with players as they as they come in. I think things will be set up, you know, where where we can speak with them, um, whether it's by Zoom or conference call or whatever the case may be. So, I mean, it it, it does, you know, it's nice to actually say, okay, we're we're out of phase one into phase two. To me, it'll start to feel more real um, when we get to phase three and, and you're in training camp, and then we're actually counting down to when there would be games again and and talking about potential you know, potential playoff opponents that, that to me is when it gets real, but it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, again, it's, uh, it's, it feels good to, uh, yeah, feels Just good to, to move be out forward. Of- right. Yeah. I mean, we're out of the starting gate, you know, with you couldn't get to phase three without getting to phase two. So it is a step in the process. Now, now Bill, it's really interesting too, because, um, this past week we gained a lot of, um, clarity on some very important questions, uh, we don't have our timeline yet, as you kind of alluded to. We'll get that when we get to phase three and training camp start. Um, and then we'll you know, kind of d- start to see where these hub cities are and, those kind of, and get those answers. Um, but we got some very important answers. And, and I want to start here with reseeding because it, it's what I preferred. I believe it's what you preferred as well. Um, but they're not only going to reseed after the play-in round, but they're also going to reseed after every round which I by conference, which I absolutely love. Um, and the, the reason why I like it is just, there's not a home ice advantage here per se, other than last change, which can be very important, especially pending your opponent. Um, but the, the thing about it too, is I think it opens the door for that to be done going forward <laughs> as a reseeding, but also, uh, it really gives you something to play for in this round Robin. I mean, it makes this round Robin and the Flyers are one of those top four teams in the Eastern Conference and top four in the, in the, in the Western Conference that are going to really be playing for something because of the ability to recede. Oh, absolutely. And because they're quite likely to be upsets, you know, on paper upsets in, in those play-in series, you know, you, uh, I mean, you never know how the matchups are going to end up working out and, uh, you know, I mean, anything can happen in a playoff series, but, you know, but in that bet in a best of five, especially, you know, the, you're going to you're going to see some upsets. If you get if you get uh, a higher seed, you could potentially get a, a more favorable matchup in the first round. I mean, their playoffs are such you know, such a battle of attrition and the the less energy you have to expend to get a little deeper into the playoffs can work to a team's benefit. Um, you know, even even though, yes, everybody's kind of starting fresh now. You know, teams will get worn down at the end of the end of series. That it just it's just going to happen. You're especially because the series are going to be condensed. You're not going to have as many days off between games as you're used to seeing. I think there'll be more back to backs because they want to get the playoffs in. So it's definitely beneficial to have reseeding, and I I just prefer it that way in general, as opposed to a, a frick fixed bracket. You're going to play, you know, you're going to play the winner this series, this series, this series, you know, as they've been doing in the divisional format, I, I like where you're more likely to, uh, to play a team from, you know, from the, from the other division in your conference, it, it, you know, you're not just competing for them with playoff spots all year. You know, I, I, a lot of times, um, you know, I, I go back to some of those flyers, Toronto playoff series. They were never in the same division, but those were fantastic series. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Buffalo too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I love that too. And, you know whether it's the t- you want the top two teams in your conference and and to be playing in a conference final to go to a Stanley Cup final if at all possible. So if that was whether that's Boston and Tampa or that's 
Boston and the Flyers or Boston and Washington or Washington and the Flyers to go to the cup. I mean, to me, it just makes sense. And uh, that was one of the things they they mentioned and, and they gave us that clarity on. And they said in each succeeding round of the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs, the highest remaining seed in each conference will face the lowest remaining seed. Uh, so that second highest remaining seed will take on the second lowest remaining seed as each series goes on. Uh, we also got a clarity bill on series lengths. The qualifying round, as we already knew, is the best of five series. You just alluded to it as well. All other rounds, first round, second round, conference finals, and Stanley Cup finals, all best of seven. So when you calculate all that together with the qualifying rounds of best of five and the four rounds of best of seven, I believe the NHL has determined that from stem to stern, that will take 68 days to complete. You're good with the best of seven in all rounds, I'm assuming. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's a traditional way to do it. And also to me, it, it takes, if a team were to, if a qualifying round team were to win the cup, I mean, how could you put, you know, a, a quote unquote asterisk next to it when they, when they really have to win five series to do it. Now the first one is best of five, but that, that's a, you know, one heck of a long road to, to make it through all of those series. Right. So, you know, to me, it, it, uh, it's, it's preferable that way too. And also, you know, also with the highest playing the lowest, I mean, again, you're, you're going to have teams knocked out regardless, but um, you know, uh, one of the complaints about the way the playoffs have been structured in recent years is too early in the playoffs, you get, which could be a conference final series. And one of the, some really good team is guaranteed to get knocked out just because of, you know, just because of the, how, how things are bracketed. So, you know, I, I do think that things should get, you know, progressively harder as you go along. Sometimes you'd have a uh, a conference final that was also almost anticlimactic just because a, a tougher series was in the previous round. And that really, you know, barring upsets, that really, to me, shouldn't be the case. 2010. <laughs> not, not that Montreal wasn't on a great run. As an eight seed, they were. But um, the Flyers, obviously, what happened in, in that second round against Boston and then uh, to take care of Montreal to go to the cup and in five games um, uh, certainly wasn't as intriguing, obviously, as that Boston series. Um, Bill, um, also, it, have we resided ourselves to the fact that there will be no fans through the entirety of these playoffs? Or could there be a possibility that there could see some fans in buildings in a conference final or a Stanley Cup final? There are inklings that it may be possible, but there are so many ifs about it you know um you can't plan for it <laughs> but you can't plan for it at this point. you can divert to it i guess yeah if if that does prove to be possible and then it would still be reduced capacity you know some kind of social distancing employed and and then there are also economics of okay well you know if you're operating the buildings and with various you know safe safeguards as much as you can in place trying to ensure social distancing. And if you're playing at 25% capacity or whatever, is it even worth it to do? I mean, all of those are questions that will have to be answered. I mean, I, I from a, uh, from a fan standpoint and, and from, you know, uh, it would be great if teams could play in their own building when you get to the conference final, or especially in the Stanley cup finals, you know, it'd be a nice reward, something fans, you know, wait years and years and years to see in many cases, I would love it if it could happen. Um, I'm personally not expecting it. I, I, I'm inclined to think that uh, every round would be played in, you know, played in the hub cities. Um, I'll be interested to see also where teams get assigned. I know they've said that um, they would reduce any benefit to a, a team that's, you know, that who's 
uh, quote unquote home ice in the hub city, but they couldn't go home during a series or, or you know, whatever, or whatever they, you know, whatever those would be. But I, I know that's supposed to be in place. They might simply, they might simply address that by sending the East team to the West hub city and the West to the East. Other than the TV variable to that, that that's one thing that doesn't make much, you know, because if you have the, the Rangers and, and the Flyers and Carolina, do you want them playing games at 7 a.m. their time, you know, out there if you're if you're going with a quadruple header on a day, yeah, um, although those kind although, of things. without fans in the stands, though, Jason, you can you can adjust the starting times. Players will be ready for whatever the starting time is. Yeah. You know, they, they could like, you know, say uh, let, let's just say Dallas is a hub city. Um, you know, it's a one hour time difference. So to get a to get a uh, seven o'clock start. Uh, in the east it'd be a six o'clock start the players wouldn't care there's no fans in the stands anyway so you know we would be adjusted to tv we would favor broadcast on the east coast or, or the other way around too you'd make the start time a little yeah, later I, east and, you know so why, why do i get this sentence bill that vegas is going to be a hub city and toronto is going to be a hub city well, <laughs> I, I, they just seem really resolute if vegas isn't a hub city i think that maybe when they bring everybody together the cup final is in vegas provided the golden knights weren't in it um, and, for, and obviously the, the Canadian border with the U S Canadian border is an issue, but I think it's something they can work through. And I really think they want to use that Toronto market, not to mention the cost savings of 70 cents on the dollar. Right. Right. No, I, I mean, those, those, you know, as you talk to people, those are the cities that you, you hear come up quite frequently. I mean, before you would hear Edmonton and I didn't think Edmonton, you know, makes as much sense as. You know, Toronto, if they're picking a Canadian city as a hub city and to, to try to get one of the hub cities in Canada, too. But as you said, you know, they, they can work through the border crossing, um, you know, that uh, I, I think that there's enough there, there's enough framework in place where, you know, the quarantine requirements, whatever, they, they can work around all of that stuff. So it, it would not surprise me. And, um, you know, particularly particularly if you're getting deep in the playoffs, you know, as you said, unless the Golden Knights make it, then you'd, you'd need to, uh, you know, you would need to have a contingency plan. But uh, yeah, that that would not that wouldn't surprise me. Um, you know, you have it's such a fluid situation. You have to keep monitoring how the how the curves are going on on COVID. I mean, you know, from from what I've been hearing recently, some of the uh, states where it wasn't so bad previously, some of them are going up. I, I mentioned Dallas. I mean, the curve has been going up a, a bit in Texas of late. So whether that would take Dallas out of the running, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, and there's so many variables even, even within all that. So, you know, I, I think that I think the NHL was wise to hold off on that decision uh, on picking the hub cities, and that still is a few weeks off. But um, picking, you know, picking prominent markets like Toronto in particular would make a would make a whole lot of sense, um, you know, if if it uh, if it works out to be able to make that decision. Uh, Bill, with um, with the team being able to to go to the skate zone tomorrow and and select players are going to be in town to work out, um, are are all players at this point starting to plan their return, uh, booking flights? Whether you're uh, Robert Haig in Sweden or whether you're Claude Giroux uh, in Ottawa are, are all players, you know, planning their return. Can they like, like Claude Giroux in Ottawa? Could he just stay there and skate? Could a player that lives in this area, like uh, if Bobby Ryan was in Jersey, could he skate at the Flyers facility? Is that allowed? That is allowed. Yes. Um, uh, NHL teams. And it's not, it, first of all, it's not that, un, you know, that uncommon for players from other teams to, 
you remember for years, Justin Williams, for example, who maintained a home in New Jersey, he was, you know, you would see him at the skate zone many years, you know, mm -hmm. he's getting ready with permission. Gaudreau, same thing, yeah. Same thing, same thing. And, um, you know, it, it, they have to ask the team for permission. The league is part of that 22-page memo they put out for, for phase two. Uh, they ask teams to honor those requests wherever possible. So that that certainly is a possibility. Players can skate, you know, such as such as rinks are available to them. I think you'll see many players, particularly, uh, you know, particularly ones who, who would be more subject to the 14-day quarantine period. Um, it, play, U.S. players going to Canada uh, are more likely to have to to have to have, you know, do the 14 day quarantine just because there are more cases in the U S and Canada um, players coming from Europe are probably going to have to do the 14 day quarantine. So I think it's, it's a case by case basis. Um, but I, but players, players have the option of choosing whatever facilities are available to them closest to them, you know, and um, if it's another NHL teams facility that will be accommodated in most cases. So um, I, I think players are, are, you know, I think some already have plans in place. They'll return around such and such, and but more and more will with each passing week. And I wouldn't be surprised if pretty much all of the Flyers players are there ahead of camp by a you know by a, a comfortable amount. Again, again, a, a little bit like um, a little bit like the weeks before training camp you'd see in September, where pretty much a full team is in place before the reporting date. I think it'll I think it'll end up being similar. Bill, give me a timeline on on training camp phase three I, i'm asking you an impossible question right now i realize that but and i'm really putting you on the spot but in your most uh educated guess are you seeing somewhere around july 10th july 10th the 15th is, is what i've is what i've heard yeah i don't okay. i mean I, they've already said it won't be before july 10th so that's a that's kind of a best case scenario um but yeah, thereabouts, and then you know, I, I've still heard a three-week camp, so games would start in August if, if all goes well. Okay, so if you're looking at 68 days and, and an August first start, uh, you're, you're looking at handing out your cup, really around when you usually drop the puck, around the eighth, seventh, sixth of October is when right. you're going to uh, hand out the, the hardware. Um, there was this notion, and, and I saw a report last week, which has been refuted. Uh, about the league not starting until January 1st and maybe starting with a winter classic. I think that's very dangerous, obviously, because um, it's your signature event. And if you don't know if you can have fans, you can't really pin your hopes to it. And we don't know if that's going to be the case um, with fans or not at that point. Um, if the season were to end October 8th, does it make sense to start it right before Thanksgiving uh, with the 50 days in between or right after Thanksgiving, December 1? Is that is that what you would be your understanding would be the, the smartest way to go yeah i mean it's um you know they want to have a, a reasonable off season um the draft they the draft will definitely be after the stanley cup finals um you know teams wanted to be able to make trades and one of the big issues the teams had uh with the with the proposed june draft was nobody was going to be able to make trades you would just have everybody make their picks um, just because, you know, you'd be getting ready for playoffs so no players will be moving. And, uh, you know, you, a lot of times you'd see rights flipped, um, you know, for a, for a draft pick for an impending free agent or, or, or whatever the case might be. Um, also the, also, you know, they they had to have a plan for what they were going to do with all the, um, you know, with all the, uh, conditional picks and there were, 
Yeah, there were conditional picks, including first rounders involved. So all of that is going to be moved till after the season. The league awards, you know, will, will just be presented. There won't be a there won't be a ceremony itself, but they, you know, will, will announce all of that. And then, and then players need a, you know, particularly the, the teams that go deep in the playoffs are going to need a reasonable amount of time off. So, you know, is it is a December start workable? I don't. I think November is pushing it personally. But I, but I think a December start may be workable, um, even if it's not January 1st, maybe early January. I know Gary Bettman has said he's comfortable if it, if it does start in January. Um, the only thing is, of course, the later you start, the further you push out the end of next season. You want to eventually get back on a cycle, presumably, of you know the traditional beginning and end of the season. And the deeper and deeper and deeper you go, the harder it is to do that. So... You know, I I do think they'd like to begin a, a little earlier if they can December if it's workable, um, but uh, January might be, you know, might be where it ends up going, with uh, you know with shorter breaks for teams so the the bye week would be, you know, would be eliminated and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, the All Star game as well, and you know the one thing is, you never know how the impact of this is going to have on the game long term because, if they start in mid December, early December. Um, they may find that maybe seats are more full percentage-wise around the league, not competing with college football as much, not competing for the dollar of the NFL for as long in your season as possible. You never know where this could go. Um, there's just so many variables and I, you know, th- that can happen. I've been calling for reform in the sports calendar for, for years on the radio. Um, I don't see any reason why we should be have a period of time from when the cup is handed out and Larry O'Brien trophy in the NBA to having one sport with just baseball. And we don't even have that right now um, until the NFL starts. Why doesn't the you know, on Christmas Day, the NBA should start and they should end their season in mid-August. You know, I've been calling for this reform forever, but, I'm, you know, I'm peeing in the wind. Uh, Bill, one of the things uh, that come out uh, as well is that uh, – there seems to be a lot of momentum and Elliot Friedman reporting. There's plenty of rumors that the NHL and the PA are working very hard on the CBA extension. You and I have talked about it. Um, Elliot citing multiple sources indicating there's a legit attempt to get something done by the time play resumes. The league wants the long-term stability. The players want a cap on escrow, uh, which if they didn't even get back this year would be 35% next year. Uh, they're looking at a flat cap of $81.5 million and maybe spreading out some of this pain over the years at a 20% escrow. Um, to me, and we've talked about it, uh, getting an, an extension of the CBA with a new team coming in and a new television contract as well, and having gone through the coronavirus pandemic, seems to be a, a, just a no-brainer. I agree. Absolutely agree. I mean, most of the stoppages you know, have been CBA-related. Now you have the, the pandemic stoppage. There have been way too many absences of the league, you know, and to, to look at a potential 11th hour settlement or another stoppage of some kind, it's damaging for the league. It's no good for the players. They need a, they need a long-term stability and peace. I think it just, it just benefits both sides. Yeah. No question about it. Uh, Last thing, Bill, Um, Sam Moran's been skating and I had a chance to sit down with Sam just prior to the pause. I think uh, late February, Brian and I, Brian Smith and I uh, sat down to an interview with Sam for Flyers Fix. You can check that out on your iTunes link. Um, is Sam a body that could be available for the Flyers as a depth defenseman come this playoff run? Uh, I spoke with Sam recently. I think the goal is next season. Um, 
just because you know Sam has missed so much time. Um, not not just this season, but uh, you know you got to go back. Not, not not just this season, last season. Uh, it was he's basically hurt mid season the year before that. Then he suffered the first ACL tear in the playoffs. They perceived. Um, you know the, the the one that interests me is that uh, you know the the Flyers have not completely ruled out the possibility of of Nolan Patrick being available. Although I don't I don't expect Nolan to play in the playoffs. But um, you know the I, I I do think that Nolan is still part of the long term plan. But they have to, especially with especially with him being a restricted free agent this summer. You know they they need to have a kind of a sense of of where they stand with him. Um, Sam also has some term left in his contract, and I and I think that the, you know, uh, also also don't forget too, Jason, is that um, you know the Flyers figure to have depth that at least goes eight defensemen, barring an injury in camp. So, yeah. I mean, there's not the, the same need for Sam that there you know might have been if they, the same depth wasn't there. So, but uh, and, and I said I, I had a chance to sit down with Sam as well. We. Uh, did an article recently for the Flyers website updating, you know, updating his progress. And, you know, he never takes a day off. Um, you know, he's such, 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 such a, a good guy, such an unbelievable work ethic. I mean, everybody is pulling for Sam. Uh, I, I think that uh, whatever's best for him, whether that's next season or, or, you know, whatever, whatever the case might be to be ready for this, to be ready for the next camp and the start of the season is something we're all, you know, pulling for him for. Yeah, just another one of those storylines to keep an eye on. Well, Phase 2 is underway, Bill. Uh, this is our first episode of Phase 2. I appreciate you doing this. Stay healthy, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. My pleasure, Jason. You too. Thanks to Bill Meltzer for joining us in this episode of Flyers Daily, which is brought to you by Yingling Lager. Hey, Philly fans, grab a cold Yingling and elevate your taste. Because this isn't just a beer. It's a lager. It's time to spread your wings, Yingling traditional lager, and give them a follow on Twitter, at Yingling Beer. We'll be back Wednesday with another episode of Flyers Daily. In the meantime, everybody, thanks for listening. Stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll check you out on Wednesday's edition of Flyers Daily.